0: You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. This is the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verse 1. Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They used the eyewitness reports circulating among them from the early disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. Good morning. Uh, my name is Jake Hotchkiss. I'm an associate pastor here at Schweitzer, and happy Advent. If you don't know what Advent is, uh, it is the four weeks leading up to Christmas, and I just learned this. It is the uh, beginning of the Christian year, so happy New Year, too, right? Uh, no reason to wait on your New Year's resolutions. You can start, start today. Uh, this also marks the beginning of our extended stay as a church into uh, in the Gospel of Luke. For the next five months... We are going to be going uh, from chapter 1 through chapter 24 of Luke, through Christmas, through Easter, all the way to the ascension of Jesus Christ. Now, first thing I want you to know is if you are a, a part of this church, if you intend on sticking around, um, then this is a fantastic opportunity for you to join us and immerse yourself in this gospel, um, not just here with us on Sunday mornings, but in your, in your daily time in Scripture. Um, and if you've not begun to, to spend time daily in Scripture, do it now. Use this opportunity to get in Luke, all right? Own this story. Make it your own. I'm telling you, if, if you had two options, one is to read the Bible in a year, or two was to read one book of the Bible throughout an entire year, I would tell you to do that one. All right? Spend more time and less scripture, and your life will be changed. Okay? More time, less scripture, your life will be changed. So join us in the book of Luke as we read. Now, why do we pick the, the gospel of Luke as, a, as opposed to the other uh, three gospels, Matthew, Mark, or John? There's a lot of reasons, but there are two specifically that really stick out to me. One is that Luke emphasizes the outsider. He emphasizes the outsider, Women, children, the poor, foreigners, the sick, the despised, the runaways, the criminals. You get what I'm saying? The people who we keep our distance from. The people who we want nothing to do with. Who aren't worthy of our time. The people who we think God has clearly given up on. Those are the people who in Luke's story, it becomes clear that God's heart is turned towards. And it's beautiful. And we're going to see that in the course of the next 20-some weeks we're in this book. It's a challenge to those of us who have it good. It's a challenge to those of us who fit in, to those of us who are comfortable, to those who society accepts, to those who have been incredibly fortunate in our lives. And I'm among one of those very blessed, fortunate people. It is a challenge to people like me and you to be a blessing. God has blessed us so that we might be a blessing to those who are less fortunate, to those who society says are not worth our time. Second, Luke has a unique emphasis on the Holy Spirit. This is huge. He has a unique emphasis on the Holy Spirit. Now listen to me. He doesn't, he doesn't talk theology of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't uh, theorize or speculate or pontificate on the ideas of the Holy Spirit and who he might be and what he might be like. And He doesn't, he doesn't do that, all right? Luke was a firsthand witness to the powerful, mighty acts of God in this world. He saw God move in ways that you and I have never seen God move, and he talks about it. He gives testimony to it. And I'm telling you, my confession this morning is that a lot of time, I'm okay with our lives looking nothing like their lives in scripture. I'm okay with the fact. I'm too often okay with the fact that I don't see the Holy Spirit moving today like he moved back then, like he's moving elsewhere in the world right now, like he's moved throughout so many times in history, throughout so many times even in our own country. But I'm telling you, when you read these stories and you look at our lives today, you cannot tell me that the Holy Spirit is moving like God wants him to move. He's not. So there's this massive chasm between what the picture Scripture gives us and the picture that that our world gives us today. What's up with that? We're going to be talking a lot about the Holy Spirit because Luke talks a lot about the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you. My fire needs a rekindling. This church needs a revival. This country needs an awakening. Does it not? My hope is that as we read about what God once did, we will begin to desire and believe that he will do it again. Can he do it again? Will he do it again? The answer to that is yes. And will we be part of that story? So I want you to pray with me right now. God break into our lives. So you say that? God break into our lives. Now say it again like you mean it. God break into our lives. Is your skin starting to crawl yet? Because that's a dangerous thing to pray. Sometimes I don't want God to break into my life. I like things comfortable. But this morning, pray with me one more time. God, break into our lives. Okay. Now let's start with this awesome story. Oh, before we do, um, let me just give you a a preface. We're reading, uh, the next four weeks will be in chapter one of Luke. And so this morning is just a part of that story. And uh, we're not even to the Virgin Mary yet. Um, We're... We're looking at Jesus' aunt and uncle, Zechariah and Elizabeth, um, and then the birth of his, uh, not even the birth, the conception of his cousin, John, John the Baptist. Okay, so that's, that's the story today. And this is God just preparing the way and setting the stage for this mighty act that he was going to do in the world through, of course, the birth of Jesus Christ. Okay, verse 5. When Herod was the king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest... Named Zechariah, He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife, Elizabeth, was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children, because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. Okay, so, they were righteous in God's eyes careful to obey all the Lord's commandments and regulations, right? They were righteous, but she was barren. She was unable to conceive a child because she was very old. And apparently earlier in life, she couldn't either. She had some problems, right? Now, this is noteworthy. In our culture, we may not think uh, too much of this, but in this culture, in their culture, the inability to have children meant one thing, disgrace. Disgrace. They didn't know all the things we know about science and problems that can cause that type of thing. It was just children are a gift from God. And if you have not received this gift from God as a woman, you have brought disgrace upon yourself and your family because there's something you've sinned or your husband has sinned or your ancestors have sinned. There's, There's gotta be some reason that you can't bear a child, right? That's the culture they lived in. So she wore shame and disgrace on her forehead like any woman would have who could not provide a child. And she was too old. It was just, it was never gonna happen. Now, I think it's noteworthy that the first person God uses to set up this story is, is a disgraced old woman. Before you even get to the, to the unmarried virgin, you have just an old hag. <laughs> but more importantly, more relevant to this story is her impossible circumstances. Right? She's too old. There's just I hope you know this. You get to a point in your life, and you get, and you can no longer have kids. Once, and and she's at that age. We don't know how old she is, but she is too old. That is incredibly clear. Her circumstances are nothing short of what we would call impossible. And we've all been there in some way or shape or form before, have we not? You're too old. You're not smart enough. You don't come from the, the right family. You don't have the money. You don't have the support. You don't have the time. It's never been done before, right? What reasons has the world come up with? What reasons have you come up with to explain why God cannot do something? How many impossible circumstances are out there? Well, what you gotta hear is that in this story, her impossible circumstance was not a barrier. In fact, it was the tool in which God would use to show his greatness and his glory, you hear me? Her impossible circumstances laid the groundwork for God's plans. God doesn't want possible, he doesn't want likely, he wants you to know that it was undoubtedly, undeniably him who did it, right? So he loves the impossible. Might it be that your impossible circumstances are exactly what God intends to use to show his greatness. Do not let your circumstances dictate your dreams, your hopes, and your prayers. Because God breaks into the impossible. He did it once, and he can do it again. Let's read on. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priests, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. So here's what was happening. He was a priest. You all knew that. He's been a priest for a long time. He's an old dude. Um, Would have been a priest his whole life. And uh, he's going to the temple, like usual, every morning and every night, one priest is selected to go into the holy place and burn incense to the Lord, but there were an estimated eight thousand to eighteen thousand priests in Israel at this time. Okay, so what that meant is that any priest could only be selected once in his life for this great and honorable duty. All right, once in your life, you kind of it was like winning the lottery. All right, that's that's important because Zechariah, being in his old age, had gone through this routine a thousand times before, and he'd never been picked. We know that. He couldn't have ever been picked. This was his, his one chance, right? But today is his day. And for all the others who had performed that task, I imagine their stories were pretty anticlimactic. Sweet, I got chosen today. I'm going to go do this awesome thing, and then you, you light the incense, and you pray a little bit, and it happened, and then you leave, and it's like, yeah, nothing, nothing happened, right? I, I imagine, I, I can only imagine how anticlimactic that would have been, right? And so, The point here is that decades of life experience of his own and the stories of other people offered zero indication or evidence that God would do something big on this day. But you know what? He did. Isn't that something? To go even further, it had been hundreds of years since Israel had seen anything significant happen. Hundreds of years. Can you imagine If it had been hundreds of years since God had moved in a big way today in our world. I'd argue in in our country it's really only been decades. Not hundreds of years. But in here it's hundreds of years. But today, this day, was his day. And it is a good thing he showed up, is it not? It's a good thing he'd been praying. I don't know if if you caught that when the angel... Saw Zechariah, he said, God has heard your prayer. You hear that? I'm going to give you a child. God has heard your prayer. So they've been praying for the impossible. Or or maybe maybe this was a prayer from years ago that God is just now answering. We don't know. The point is, is that they were praying and God would not have moved had they not been praying. He answered their prayer. That's huge. And then finally, one day at an old age, after decades, after hundreds of years of nothing, no evidence, nothing, he moves. So hear this word. This is, I mean, this is a word of hope. Hear this word. Do not let your past experience and your history dictate your dreams and your hopes and your prayers. You hear that? Do not let your past experience and your history dictate your dreams and your hopes and your prayers. You know why? Because your history is not just the the series of events that have happened in your own life. Your history is right here in this book. This is your history. This is our history. And this is the evidence that God has moved and he will do it again. God breaks through in the impossible, and also in the mundane and the ordinary day-to-day stuff. And there's no reason that we shouldn't wake up every day saying that today is the day God will break through. As Christians, we need to have that kind of mind. Today is the day that God will break through. But you know what? we got to show up. This happened on this day because Zechariah showed up. He didn't give up. He showed up, and it happened as a result of his prayers, too. And we should not expect that any kind of, like, life-altering, game-changing, Holy Spirit-filled thing is going to happen in our lives ever if we don't show up. If we don't place ourselves before God daily in worship and say, God, move, please. We want this, right? Let's show up. Let's pray, and let's read on. Verse 14. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. He's explaining who who his son is about to be. For he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. All they wanted was a child, and they got the greatest prophet that ever lived. Can you imagine? Jesus said it himself, John is the greatest among all the prophets that ever lived. John is the greatest all they wanted was a child. And it begins to become clear that this whole thing is about much more than just Zechariah and Elizabeth. It's about the glory of the Lord and the salvation of the world. That's what it's about. It's about the glory of the Lord and about the salvation of the world. And the real problem, I think, with a lot of our our hopes and our dreams and our visions and, this, and our prayers even is that like, they got nothing to do with the glory of the Lord and the salvation of the world. <laughs> you feel me? I don't think I'm alone in this. What is it that you're dreaming about in your life? Like what, what, what is your greatest hope in life when you think about it? And what does it have to do with the glory of the Lord and the salvation of the world? Just ask yourself that just spend time with that and it won't take long before your dreams, some of your dreams and hopes just start to crumble. They just don't matter, you know? They just lose all significance because they got nothing to do with this. The glory of the Lord and the salvation of the world. Can you imagine knowing that you gave birth to the greatest prophet that ever lived. And it wasn't even about that prophet. He was here to prepare the way for the coming of Jesus Christ who would save the world. That's the kind of significance that I want to have in this life, right? God says you can. He made you. He made all of us with that kind of significance to play a part in the redemption of the world. That's incredible. He has blessed you so that you will be a blessing, right? Let these two criteria, the glory of the Lord and the salvation of the world, dictate your dreams and your hopes and your prayers, and I guarantee you that God will move in your life in ways you could never imagine. I guarantee you. Let's begin to do that. And again, let's read on. Verse 18, Zechariah said to the angel, How can I be sure that this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. And the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. Can you imagine questioning an angel who just appears out of you? It's like, how how can I know? But we probably all would. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born for my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering why he was taking so long. When he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them. And then they realized from his gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. When Zechariah's week of service in the temple was over, he returned home. Think about... Uh, so when, when, you, when we read... When I've read this passage, um, it's hard not to think that that him being silenced is punitive in some way, right? He asked the angel, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? And the angel says, since you didn't believe, you're not going to be able to talk until this baby is born. (laughs) And it feels... Punitive, like a, it's, a, it's a punishment for not believing in me. And, you know, maybe that was there was a dimension of that to it. But here's what I've got. I've thought a lot about this in the past few weeks. And I don't think it's as much punitive as it is helpful, as it is an answer to, to wanting a sign, right? He says, how can I know that this is going to happen? And angel says, well, how about you wake up every morning for the next, you know, nine and a half months not being able to speak? <laughs> there you go. There's your sign every day. <laughs> And what's incredible is like later in this chapter, um, once his, he agrees, uh, the baby's born and circumcised, and he says, we're going to name him John. And right after he writes on this tablet to name him John, what happens? Uh, his lips are loosed instantly, right? And this is in front of a, a, a crowd of people. And it says, awe fell upon the whole neighborhood. And the news of what had happened spread throughout the Judean hills, right? So this sign is not just for him, it's for the whole society of people around him right and he says everyone who heard about it reflected on these events and they asked what will this child turn out to be for the hand of the Lord was surely upon him in a special way right I mean so that that response to Zechariah's question how can I be sure was just like you can be sure God was not going to let people think that this just happened That John just happened to be a good dude. That that maybe he kind of prepared the way for Jesus. You you know what I mean? There was no way that God was going to let that happen. This was a sign to all these people that these events were undoubtedly, undeniably the work of God. You know what I'm saying? Undoubtedly, undeniably the work of God. And at the end of my life, I want people to look at what happened. Want things to happen in my life that are undoubtedly, undeniably the work of God. Don't you? I don't want to be able to explain things in any other way. It's just I, I want the impossible to happen, the unlikely to happen, the the never before has happened to happen. <laughs> I heard recently this phrase. I just. Love it's live a life that demands an explanation. Isn't that powerful? Live a life that demands an explanation. I honestly don't think that's possible. Apart from the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. All right, let's finish it out. Verse 24, soon after his wife Elizabeth became pregnant, and she went into seclusion for five months. How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. You know, after, just, after it becoming clear that this is so much bigger than just Zechariah and Elizabeth, that this is about the glory of the Lord and the salvation of the world, how does Elizabeth have the audacity to say, God did this for me. But you know what? She's right. God did this for her. God wants to do this for you. God's the the kind of God who will leave the 99 to go find the one. He is so gracious. He is so good. And he doesn't just want a revival to happen through you. He wants one to happen in you, and he's not satisfied until it does. And so, practically, the way that this is, is being played out in my life is when, as I pray for an awakening, as I pray for God to begin doing things that I've never seen Him do, the like things that I, <laughs> things that I long for Him to do, I've got to first say, "God, do this in me. Do this for me." And I honestly believe that he is more than happy to answer that prayer.